When we started this summer, we uh, we started with Psalm 1, which, you know, I think is a good place to start. And if you remember the words from Psalm 1, it starts, you know, with these words, uh, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, rather, is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. And the psalmist goes on to say that the person who is delighting in the Lord and his word is like a tree planted by streams of water, that he flourishes. That the pathway toward flourishing and wholeness in life is actually to follow the Lord in His revealed Word. It lays out really two paths for us. We're concluding actually with a similar psalm. Because Psalm 146 equally lays out two paths for us. A choice to which to take. Who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow man? Are we going to follow the Lord? And it is really no stretch to say... That this decision, that this choice, can change your life completely. It is the most important decision you could make. I have a friend that I used to work with um, when I was an RUF campus minister. I worked a campus ministry at UT. And one of the men who worked for me was an intern. And uh, interns with RUF are recent college graduates uh, who have finished out their college career. And they've been involved usually with RUF in college. And now they want to go and serve on a different campus. And this man uh, had come to serve. And he was uh, raising support from his family and friends. And... You know, there's, um, for those who, who are not as familiar kind of with the intricacies of different ministries, a lot of times it can kind of feel like everybody who's in any ministry altogether is all kind of the same thing. Right? So people who are involved in a campus ministry or people who are leading that campus ministry or pe- students who are in seminary or pastors, kind of all the same. Well, this guy, my friend Shane, he had a, an aunt who kind of fell into that category. And she had a friend whose daughter was getting married. Just stay with me here for a second. Her friend's daughter was getting married. And so my friend's aunt said, I've got a great idea. I have this a nephew who's in ministry, he should come and read scripture at your daughter's wedding. So she kind of posed that idea to my friend, and he thought, that's kind of weird, I don't know, I don't know this person at all, but sure. Out of reference, or out of deference to his, uh, to his aunt, he decided he'd show up and read scripture at her wedding. So the day comes, it's a pretty outdoor wedding, there's people gathered, he shows up, he doesn't really know anybody who's there, so he's looking around for particularly the minister, so that he can say, alright, where do I stand, what do I do, when do I do it, I don't even know which scripture I'm reading, you need to tell me what to do. Well, his aunt finds him, and she kind of grabs him, starts introducing them to everybody, introducing him to her friends, and she says, okay, come over here, Shane, Uh, I'm going to tell you kind of what you're supposed to do. And she leads him over, and she says, you're going to be kind of standing here, and there's going to be people here and around, and you're kind of of standing in this place, and this is where you'll do your thing. And he realizes that he's standing about right here, right at the front of the aisle, where the bride and her father will be walking down shortly. And he quickly realizes, she thinks I'm going to perform this wedding. You can imagine his panic. Now, it all kind of got sorted out. But just imagine not only his panic, but, but take it another step. Imagine what it would have been like if he would have done so, and that young couple had realized they were standing in front of somebody who had neither the power nor the authority nor the desire to be marrying them. They're there at one of the most important days of their life and they're standing in front of somebody who really is a total phony. 
The truth is, um, the list of total phonies who have led people astray is a pretty long list, though, isn't it? Um, you know, just recently in our area or over the last few years, I mean, remember when Lance Armstrong was like the guy that everybody wanted to follow and every athlete wanted to be like, and you know, his, his foundation was doing amazing. Like he was the guy, right? Who had, I've never doped. I've never touched this stuff. I'm totally clean. Right. Of course that didn't end up being true. 1919, Charles Ponzi developed this pyramid scheme uh, where he was, uh, something like about postage stamps, I think he was doing. He was making $250,000 a day in 1919 off of people who were totally unsuspecting. Now, of course, there's been plenty that have followed in his steps. That's why they call it a Ponzi scheme. Remember Bernie Madoff who swindled lots of famous people out of lots of money. I had friends in Baton Rouge who were um, who were part of a similar scheme, who actually were were swindled out of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars. In fact, one friend who was so taken by the leader of this scheme that he actually worked for him and inadvertently swindled many of his friends out of money. Now, I know what you may be thinking: um, I'm not that guy or that girl. I can read people pretty well. I can see the shyster. I can see the crook. Even though, what did P.T. Barnum say? You know, one is born every, a sucker is born every minute. It's interesting when we open up the Bible and we look at Psalm 146 and we hear these words that says, you know, put not your trust in princes. Certainly we can think that put not your trust in somebody who's going to completely swindle you out of all of your inheritance or your savings should be included in that. But let me say this, I think it goes a lot deeper than that. Because I don't actually think that's the major point that the psalmist is trying to make. In fact, very oftentimes, it's not the swindlers and the phonies that lead us astray. Most of the time, it's the very good things and the very good people that actually we begin to follow and put our hope in and our trust in and our, the weight of all of our validity and importance becomes to fall on them. That word princes is a political word in the Bible and it really just means somebody who has authority or weight or honor. It's not actually talking about a fool or a swindler. It's talking about somebody who's really important. We can do this politically too, right? We can follow princes. Have you ever thought, if we could just get that person out of office and this person into office, then everything would be fine. And our world would be okay, and I'd be okay, and all of my life would kind of make sense then if we could just kind of fix things politically. And so you stay up day and night watching cable news to see what's the next step, and how am I going to change it, and who's fumbling, and who's failing, and who can kind of get a leg up. All of our hopes begin to fall on the next political candidate, whatever the next savior is. I want you to hear really clearly what Psalm 146 says this morning. Is that there is no hope in the next political candidate. Now do I believe that Christians should pray for good men and women to lead them to govern the places where we live? Yes, I do think that. Do I think that we should vote for those people who best reflect godly character? Yes, I do think that. But should you base your importance, your value, your security, your life on the next political candidate? The Bible says, don't even try. 
friends, kingdoms have risen and fallen. (laughs) Christian empires have arisen. The Roman Empire after Constantine. The Byzantine Empire. The British Empire. All of them. Christian empires. All of them have risen up. And guess what? They are all no more. Because there is no hope finally and fully in the salvation of princes. But you know, we do this with more than just politicians too. We actually do this with people who are all around us. Maybe you've had the thought uh, like this that says, um, you know, I know I'm okay, I know my life is alright, but it just seems like it would make a lot more sense, I would feel a lot more settled, I'd feel like I've kind of arrived if I could be a part of this group. Maybe that's kind of the popular kids at school. Or it's the right fraternity or sorority in college. Or it's the right kind of social strata in your life right now. The right clubs to belong to. The right people to be around. And in your mind, there's this thinking of, if I can be associated with those people, then everything will kind of be settled and I'll be alright. I'll be okay. And so we start to yearn for that. In fact, we start to give things up in order to become part of those people or that group. If you're a fan of The Office, you probably remember this episode when um, Andy, who is kind of the office funny guy, uh, wants to really impress the new boss, who's played by Will Ferrell, and it's quite funny. And Andy, um, he wants to impress him, he wants to be funny, but the thing is, the new boss doesn't think that Andy's jokes are funny, he thinks that any time Andy hurts himself, it's funny. And so, he's always asking him, he's saying, you know, Andy, make me laugh, do something that makes me laugh, be a funny guy! And, uh, you know, he'll like, stick his hand in the toaster, you know, or pour hot coffee all over him, or like, dump a bag of Cheetos over his head. You know, and the boss is going crazy, but Andy's hurting himself. Why does he do something like that? Why would he do that? Well, it's because he wants the acceptance of that person and that group, and he's willing even to give up his own dignity in order to do so. Some of us have felt that. That desire so strong to belong to a group or a group of people or even the acceptance of a particular person that we're willing to give up our own dignity. Friends, the Bible says that community is good. The Bible says that friendship is good. The Bible says is that people around you should love and welcome you, that belonging is good. But Psalm 146 very clearly says that if you are building your hope on that feeling of belonging, of that feeling of acceptance, if you think that is going to be your salvation, it is going to end up really disappointing you. Because those people will change their minds. They will fail you. They will inevitably leave. And what will you be left with? Nothing. For some of us, maybe that's even a particular person. I think this is the hardest when you're single. It's the idea of thinking, you know, if I just had a man or a woman beside me, if I just had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if I just had a husband or a wife, then maybe everything in my life would kind of be better and I wouldn't struggle with things anymore. I wouldn't have the body image issues that I have. I wouldn't have this kind of feeling of unsettledness that I'm always living with. I wouldn't be dealing with this deep insecurity anymore if I just had somebody beside me all the time. Friends, the Bible says that a husband or a wife is a good thing, given by the Lord, given to us as a good gift. But given to us also as a gift, not as something to build our world around. 
So why do we do this? Why do we oftentimes do this? Why, why do we go about, why will we be willing even like Andy in the office to give up even our own dignity in order to gain the acceptance of others, in order to put our hope on these earthly princes that we find? Well, I think the answer is that we are simply trying to fill cracks. We are trying to fill the cracks in our lives and we are filling them with the wrong thing. I want you to think for just a minute um, of this image. You're in a boat, like a little, a little boat, a little rowboat, and, uh, and a crack starts to come up in the hull, and it springs a leak. Thankfully, you brought a roll of duct tape with you because duct tape fixes everything, right? And so you tear off a piece of the duct tape, put it over that crack, and it stops the leak for a minute. But as you're kind of fiddling with the duct tape and getting that all figured out on this crack, there's another crack that springs up behind you and another leak that starts kind of hitting you in the back of the head. So you turn to put that one on and you've covered that and another leak springs up over on the side. And as you're fixing all of these, the first leak has kind of gotten waterlogged now and the duct tape's not starting to work anymore and it's sprung back. We're just putting little fixes on these deep problems. Let me give you another example, a more personal one maybe. A young girl grows up and when she's seven or eight, loses one of her parents. And that deep wound that she can't even grapple with at that age begins to fester in her over the rest of her life. And she doesn't even know how to process it, but there is deep hurt and pain because one of the most important people in her life is no longer there. But she's pretty. And she realizes that when she bats her eyes at the boys, that they give her attention. And somehow it kind of soothes soothes some of that pain that she feels inside. And as she grows older, and as the boys require more than just eye batting for attention, she develops the ability to get from them what she wants in order to just put the duct tape over those cracks. Those deep wounds that are there that she keeps covering and covering and covering. And is willing to give up many things for it. Friends, we do this in so many ways. We're the cracks in our lives that are exposed by either pain that's been wrought against us in our lives or simply the brokenness of our own hearts. We begin to cover with things that don't last. We follow these earthly princes that will disappoint us. That who, whose lives and visions always end and leave us unsatisfied. Let me just ask, is there another way? Is there any hope? Is it possible that we could live our lives not driven by insecurity? Is it possible that the question of who am I, what is my identity, is actually something that's settled and not something that's always up for grabs? Is it possible that we can live our lives as those who actually serve others rather than use them to fix our needs? See, one of the really insidious things about this is that people become that duct tape. Instead of us loving and serving others, we actually use them to kind of plug all of the holes in our lives. Is there any hope for anything different? Well, the Bible says there is. The Bible says that there is great hope for those like me and like you who struggle deeply with insecurity. I want to read you these words one more time. These are starting at verse uh, verse 5 in Psalm 146. 
Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked will bring to ruin. Friends, we oftentimes want to put that duct tape on the cracks because we're vulnerable people. We're vulnerable, we're hurting, we're insecure, and we want something that will cover that. But did you hear the list of all of those people that were listed there? Okay, listen to these words again. Uh, They are the people who are oppressed, who are prisoners, hungry, blind, sojourners, widows, orphans. This is a list of the most vulnerable people in that culture. Everybody on this list is totally vulnerable. If you are a sojourner, if you're a refugee, you're an outsider. You don't have an inheritance in God's people. If you are blind, you have to beg for money outside the city gates. You can't get a job. If you're a widow, then the person providing for you uh, is gone, is no longer there. If you're an orphan, same thing. If you are bowed down, if you are humbled, if you are lowered, that is a vulnerable, vulnerable position to be in. But what does the psalm say? He says that God actually sets free. That the Lord executes justice. That the Lord gives food to those who are hungry. That He opens the eyes of the blind. That He sets prisoners free. That He lifts up and He watches over and He cares for and He feeds. That is what God does. That is what God does. He comes to those who are most vulnerable. And He gives us not just a little duct tape to kind of fill the holes, but He gives us what we really, really need. Friends, there is a prince that we can follow. It is the prince of peace. It is Jesus who Himself, God above all, creator of all things, majestic and glorious, the one to whom every knee should bow, actually made Himself low was humbled, was oppressed, was beaten, was hungry, was made vulnerable so that we might be set free. Set free, yes, from sin and death, but also set free from that constant hamster wheel of trying to patch all of the holes in our lives. Set free from being driven by our insecurity. Set free from always following the wrong people who will always disappoint us. That is what Jesus has done for us. He has given us real life to set us free from that. So how do we respond to that? Let's just talk about a couple of really practical things. What does it mean then to actually move away from insecurity and from constantly following these earthly princes and to move toward the foundation of the Lord who reigns forever, who never breaks faith, who is always faithful? Well, here's the first thing, is that we're going to have to ask ourselves some harder questions than we're used to asking. It's the first step. Ask yourself difficult questions. A question like this. If something were, if there was something taken away from me, how would, how would I respond? What thing, if it were taken from me, would kind of just really rip me apart? What if it were taken away from me would cause me to spin kind of really totally out of control? Almost like the rug had just been pulled out from under me completely. If I had to stop watching cable news all the time, how would I feel? 
if I wasn't a part of the group that I feel so much, uh, so much good feeling about being a part of, how would I feel? If I stayed single for the rest of my life, what would it be like? Ask yourself that question because the answer probably is the thing that you are following other than Jesus. The answer to that question is probably what you are building your foundation upon. And you need to know that that foundation is going to crumble. It is not meant to hold the weight of everything that you put on it. Our idols are not meant to hold those things. They're meant simply to work in conjunction with the world that God has made. So ask yourself that question first. Secondly, we need to kind of change our reminder systems. We need to change the way that we are reminding us. Because, think about this, if you are always attached to the news cycle, if you're always attached kind of to your social media feed, if you're always wondered about, wondering about who is it that likes me and am I in or am I out, if you are always concerned about that, then you are giving yourself a reminder every time that you do it. That this is what is going to save me, this is what I'm going to build my life on, this is what is going to give me ultimate hope. Nobody talks to you as much as you talk to you. Okay, so you need to be telling yourselves the right things. We've got to be telling ourselves the right things because we're talking to ourselves all the time. And if the subliminal message is coming into our head is this fill-in-the-blank person is going to be my savior, then we're reminding ourselves of the wrong things. I read a story about Lincoln, one of the greatest presidents our country has ever had. When he died, they searched his pockets and they found like some regular stuff like his spectacles and, you know, cloth to wipe them and a handkerchief and regular things like that. You know what else they found in his pockets? Newspaper clippings. All newspaper clippings that were, um, that were praising Lincoln. He would keep these clippings with him so that he could kind of look at them all the time. Now, first of all, um, that's a pretty insecure man that has to keep newspaper clippings praising him in his pockets all the time. But secondly, you know, it's not a bad idea. Is that we need to be reminding ourselves constantly of who we are. Because what the Bible says is that you, if you belong to Christ, you are loved, you are secure, you are valuable, You are a child of the king and he will hold you. His reign is forever and his grip on you in love is forever as well. We just forget that stuff. So we got to kind of keep those clippings in our pocket that says, this is who I am. I've got to remember it. I had a seminary professor who did something really amazing that I wish that I have done. The way that he kind of kept changed this reminder system is that he went through and he made a spreadsheet. And he listed all of the attributes that he could find about who God was. He listed them all in order. The character of God, each, each attribute listed them all down. And then he made a column right next to it called Mom and a column next to that called Dad. And he would go and he'd put a check wherever his mother and father exhibited the same attribute of God. Wherever his mother and father reflected that particular character of God, he would put a check next to that, next to that mark. And then he went and he found all the places that were blank, all the places where neither his mother or father actually exhibited that particular characteristic, and he went and he listed all of the scripture references that talked about that character of God and he memorized them all. He did it because he knew that's where the holes would be. <laughs> he knew that that's where the cracks would come up. He knew that that's where those little leaks would spring. And so he said, 
I'm going to put something more than duct tape over them. I'm going to get to know the character of God so that when that question comes in my brain, because it's not been ingrained in me through my parents, when it comes, I will be able to go to God's Word. That is kind of retraining your reminder system. Here's the third thing, and we'll end on this. Is to just begin to serve the people around you. Start serving others. It could be something just as simple as uh, bringing your wife a glass of water when she hasn't asked for it. It could be uh, mowing your neighbor's yard when you have your lawnmower out. It could be just serving the people around you. It could be involved in bigger service. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to launch actually a service campaign here in a few weeks where we get to know a particular school and serving the kids in that school and providing them with the food that they need and, and mentoring them and caring for them. It could be something like that. Or it could be something as simple as just giving up what you want to do in order to let someone else do what they want to do. Because that actually retrains us that the people in our lives are not tools for us to use in order that we might get out of them what we want. They're not the duct tape in our lives that we get to plug all of the deep holes with. They are people that we get to love and serve. Friends, you can't do that unless those cracks in your life are actually met and patched and repaired permanently by the King who reigns forever. The beauty of the Gospel, it is that is that that is what Jesus has done. The beauty of Psalm 146 is that for people who are vulnerable, people like you and me, that the Lord is good, that the Lord never loses faith, that the Lord reigns forever and His mercy is always toward us. That is the God we praise this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is good news for us to be able to recount those words. It's amazing that we are so forgetful. It's amazing that we can read the best news we've ever read and then kind of just set it aside. Lord, will you show us what it means to turn away from the praise of man and turn rather to the only praise that matters? To hear you say, You're my beloved child. I've given my son for you. Lord, let that truth echo in our heads that it might retrain our reminders and that we might be those who love and serve rather than use. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus and for what he's done for us. We pray in his name. Amen.